Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak through my sermon this morning. That you would convict me, that you would convict those here, Lord, to decrease, so that your Son, Jesus Christ, might increase. Father, we love you. Help us to hear this word afresh and anew. Help us to apply it to our lives. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, greetings to each of you on this third Sunday in Advent, also known as Gaudete Sunday. That is from the Latin to rejoice. Probably heard the the word rejoice or rejoicing or joy in all of the readings. We heard in our gospel reading from which I'll be preaching this morning. John say, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. In our epistle reading, we heard Paul's words to the church at at, uh, Thessalonica to rejoice always. So, um, brothers and sisters... Like Paul, I say, let us again rejoice. But it's difficult to rejoice, um, oftentimes. It's difficult in this season, I think, as we approach the incarnation of our Lord to rejoice. This season, from Thanksgiving through Christmas and the New Year, is often very painful and difficult for those of us that have lost loved ones and we remember. It's difficult to have joy. Beloved, as I was praying and reflecting and studying on my sermon and on this text from John chapter 3, a sermon title came to me. And if you know anything about me and sermon titles, I haven't given a title to a sermon in three years probably. But here it is. The joy of decreasing. The joy of decreasing. This last week, I was riding in um, my Pontiac Vibe around town, was listening to the radio, and there came uh, a commercial on the radio. Do you all know what this radio is? There's an FM and an AM. Do you all still listen? Is radio still a thing? I don't know. Anyway, if it is, uh, if you listen to it, uh, you know that there are often commercials. And I was um, just dumbfounded at the end of one of the commercials, for here's how it started, I'm paraphrasing. This holiday season, I always love when they start that way, you know they're going to end good. Um, This holiday season, don't forget to give a gift. Don't Don't forget to give a gift and to be generous with your time and your money to the one who is the most important person in your life, yourself. All right, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we're over. Don't do that. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in in one sense, I couldn't believe it. I mean, but my my jaw was open. Yourself. Give a gift to yourself. Give time to yourself. And look, I am, I'm not poo-pooing, yes, like poo-pooing the idea that, yes, we need to take care of ourselves spiritually and physically and mentally. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing any of that. But it just goes to show that this culture that we live in 
is trying to convince you and me of a fundamental fact, at least in their mind, that you are the most important person in the universe. You, the I, me, number one. And even in this holiday kind of festive, festive time that even the secular world gets into, there's the commercial that you need to spend more time and more money on yourself. But you see, beloved, we shouldn't be surprised, and I shouldn't be surprised, because I am oftentimes a very selfish individual. This isn't me as some holy priest up here saying, look at the culture, ha <laughs> ha, I always serve my neighbor as my, you know, serve them as our Lord served them. I'm always about everybody else. No, 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 I too am a miserable offender, as our prayer book tells us, and so too are you. But you see, this, this curving in on oneself is as old as time, it's as old as the human race. Didn't... Did he really tell you, did, did this God really tell you that um, once you eat of this fruit, you would surely die? No, no, no. Once you eat of it, you're going to be like him. And so that means like you're having to decrease if you're not going to eat this fruit. Increase. Go ahead. Take a bite. And our mother, our first mother and our first father, Eve and Adam, took the bite. Decided to increase themselves, their prominence, as it were, within the human race, and to become a little more like God. You see, this isn't new. It's old. And beloved, we can so easily fall into this trap. I feel it in my own life. That everything in life begins to revolve around you. What do you want to do today? Well, technically, you, you want to do whatever you want to do today. What do you want to eat? Oh, I want to, do whatever, I want to eat whatever I want to eat. When we think about our own money, it's always curved in first on ourselves, on no one else. And let me say this, that if we live that way, beloved, we will have lived our entire life and look back and there will not have been much love that we have given to anybody else because we spent so much time serving ourselves. But here's the beauty. Here's the beauty in the gospel message, the beauty in St. John the Baptist and what he offers for us, that if we decrease so that he might increase, joy will abound in your life. Joy, happiness will abound. But that takes faith. It takes faith in our Lord. Let's turn here for a moment to John chapter 3. You can find this on uh, page 8. 88 of your pew Bible. I invite you to turn there if you have a Bible or to grab one of the pew Bibles in front of you. You see, there was a bit of a rivalry going on between St. John the Baptist and our Lord, at least in, in the minds of John the Baptist's disciples. And we're going to see at the end of our section when he says, he must increase and I must decrease, that he actually lived out what he was saying at the end. Verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. You see, just a little earlier in John chapter 3, we meet Nicodemus. And we as Anglicans say that actually John 3 and that encounter with Nicodemus, that you remember this, right? He says, how, you know, how can I be saved? And Jesus says, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus says, this doesn't make any sense. I'm an old man. How can I enter back into my mother's womb, be born again? And Jesus says, no, you've got to be born of what? Of two things. Of water and the Spirit. 
And right after that, St. John the Evangelist, the writer of this gospel, moves us into a conversation about baptism. You see, water and the Spirit deal with being born again through the waters of baptism. And yes, of course, which is attached to the Holy Spirit, but also by faith. But after this, after that conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus and his disciples are in the countryside and they were baptizing. But you see, John the Baptist is also baptizing at the same time. Two baptisms are going on. But to be more, to more, to be more kind of to the point, more specific and even more kind of truthful here, it wasn't, just, it wasn't Jesus that was really baptizing, actually. We know from John chapter 4, it was his disciples that were doing the baptism on his behalf. And it gets kind of confusing with all these baptisms out there, but we know from Matthew 28 that Jesus' baptism was not in his name, necessarily. It was his baptism. That is, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Great Commission. He says to go and to baptize in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he, that is, his disciples, are they're baptizing there in the Judean wilderness. Verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. See, baptism deals with purification. It deals with the washing away of sins. It deals with what it means to be pure, to have God purify you through the water. And there's a discussion about purification. What were they fighting about? What were they arguing about exactly in terms of purification? We don't know. It could have been, is John the Baptist, is, is his water more pure than the water of Jesus and his disciples? Which one will cause you to be cleaner? Maybe that was what they were discussing. We don't know entirely. But their conversation was over purification. And here's, here's where we get into, I think, um, just an area of this reading that, that ought to, to hit home with us and, and the joy of decreasing in our life. And they came, that is, some of John's disciples in this Jew, and they came to John the Baptist, and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. I tried to pick up that tone in that reading. They weren't like, hey, great news. The guy who, who you saw and you bore witness to, he's also baptizing, and that's great. Maybe we should go over there with him. No, no, no. A rivalry was ensuing. It was going to be who was going to increase. John the Baptist, Jesus of Nazareth, what was going to happen? I mean, the implication here from these disciples of John the Baptist is this. He's baptizing over there. Everybody's going to him. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And you see, we have here, for the first time really in the Gospels, the mission of Jesus Christ possibly coming up against the increase of one of his followers. And so there's a moment here where St. John the Baptist can say, well, actually, we need, to, we, need to, we need to ratchet it up a few notches here. He could have tried to increase, but you see, all of life really is a zero-sum game. It is, isn't it? I mean, do you, you know, are you familiar with the zero-sum game? That if, if you have zero to begin with and someone adds one, that means it's subtracted one from somebody else. When you add one over here, it subtracts one from someone else. And all of life really is, is like that. Let me give some examples here. When you love someone else, 
that implicitly means that you're sacrificing for them. So their increase is your what? Your loss, your decrease. Zero-sum game. John knew this. John was not ready and willing to say, okay, there's Jesus over there. Um, He's going to increase, but let me try to increase a little bit on my own. No, no, he said, okay, he's the Lamb of God. The one who's washing away the sins of the world. Who's come to save humanity. He must increase, and if that's going to take place, what must happen to John the Baptist? He must what? He must decrease. And in his response to these disciples, we see this. Their accusatory language, the one whom you bore witness to. Look, he's out there baptizing. Everybody is going to him. What are you going to do about it? And here's what John said. He says this. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. This, um, this short kind of aphorism here is John really appealing to the sovereignty of God. Look, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And he's been given that from God the Father. He must then increase. It's not him trying to grasp something that's not his. No, it's been given to him from heaven. And you see what John is implicitly saying here is that some of you all, that is disciples, both in this room and those whom he is talking to there and myself, we can't receive anything that's good unless it's really given to us from heaven. Because if you notice that when God tries to give us good things, we don't always receive it. It takes even his allowing us to receive the good gift for us to receive it. John says a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. And he goes on to say this. You yourselves, that is you disciples who came to me, upset about Jesus and his baptism. You yourselves bear me witness. This is St. John the Baptist saying, you knew exactly what I said. Bear witness to what I've already told you. And what I've already declared, that I am not the what? I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. But I have been sent before him. He knows his place in relationship to Jesus. But you see, this is what the world is trying to do to you and to me as Christians. Trying to turn us against the very one that wants to save us. That when, when, when our Lord asks us in obedience to follow him and to make sacrifices on his behalf and for the kingdom, the world is saying, you're you're a fool to do that. He's asking you to decrease. Do you understand this? You decrease so that he can increase. Are you kidding me? This, This makes no sense in the eyes of the world. But that's the way of our Lord. And we'll see that's the way of the cross. Joy through decreasing on behalf of the kingdom. I'm not the Christ, I have been sent before him. And St. John gives a tiny little parable here in verse 29. Very important parable. You may have missed it when it was being read so well by Deacon Josiah. um, But for us, it's a parable and it's a good one. John tells his followers, look, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. That's a parable that St. Paul picks up on later. This notion that Jesus is the bridegroom, the church, his followers, his disciples, 
are the bride. And John says, as the forerunner, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. Could you imagine going to a wedding in which, and we'll just, we'll say that the friend is the best man, as it were, in the wedding. Could you imagine going to a wedding and all of a sudden the friend, the best man, is trying to kind of like steal the bride? (laughs) Sounds like a rom-com movie or something, I don't know. That's probably happened many times, I don't know. No, like you would never do that as a friend to the bridegroom because you're rejoicing at the fact that he is the bridegroom, you are not. You understand your place in the grand scheme of the, of the marriage and of the wedding. You know, Father Zach last week pointed to, to Christian iconography and Christian art and he said, when you look at St. John the Baptist, he's always doing what? He's always pointing away from himself to Jesus. He must increase. I must decrease. I am not the bridegroom. I am the friend. And I rejoice in his having the bride. Then he moves on. Therefore, St. John the Baptist says, this joy of mine is now complete. How can he say that? He can say that because the transition is finally taking place. It's no longer about him about his forerunnership, to make up a word there, about him being the forerunner. It's no longer about him. It's finally about Jesus, the Messiah. It's moving towards him. And in his decrease, his joy can be made complete. And then he ends with what I think is, ought to be the the, the moniker of, of every Christian, of every clergyman, of every church. He must increase and I must decrease. You see, beloved, this is finally is the trajectory of the Christian life. It's St. John's trajectory. Christ must increase, I must decrease. But there's good news. There's joy ahead in your decrease. There's joy ahead in my decrease. Because the way of the cross is finally the way of salvation. Later on in St. John, the evangelist gospel, he'll quote our Lord as saying this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falleth to the earth and die, it remain alone. That is, a grain of wheat, if it stays on that husk, if it stays on that piece of wheat and doesn't fall to the earth and die, what never happens? It never sprouts and grows into bountiful life. Beloved, our call is to decrease in relationship to Jesus. But here's the beauty. In that decrease, there is increase for us. Increase in joy. Increase in faith and in hope and in love. Don't buy the world's goods. Let us quit looking out for number one all the time. But actually in love. Serve our neighbors. Serve those who need the gospel, who don't know. Serve them with our money, with our time, with our giftings, with all of our life. May we find joy in our decrease. In closing, beloved, our call then uh, to decrease is the calling of a holy fool. I'm going to end with this. 
we're moving into Christmas in which kids will get presents and I'll receive, I think, right? Am I receiving a gift? Yeah, Jennifer. Yeah, I need to get her a gift. All right. We're going to receive gifts. We're going to give gifts. It's a wonderful time. Christ, he is the gift to humanity. And we give gifts in, in honor and memory of all that. It's a wonderful thing. But here's the deal. We are called to be holy fools in this life. The holy fool says, all of my life is given to God, a living sacrifice for him, for the good of the kingdom, not for me. And I'm going to decrease in that so that he might increase. The world will call you a fool, but the Father in heaven will call you a holy fool. For finally, beloved, we will have joy when we decrease. Let it be so in our thoughts and the way that we live our Christian lives for the good of the kingdom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.